What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got some random news from Abandon All Ships, 303, Mod Sun, a radio rundown, and our deep dive on how issues fell from near-scene superstardom. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 The X in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out and you're not in the area, you can download the station's app. Just search 94.3 The X in the App Store and tune in this Saturday. As always, you can listen to the songs mentioned during this episode on the Note to Scene Spotify playlist. And if you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, before we get into the news from this week, I have a correction to make from last week's Bring Me the Horizon dive. When I was unpacking Ollie calling out Kellen Quinn for his $80 Polaroid meet and greet package, I said that Ollie got his feather face tattoo as a sign of burying the hatchet and a nod to Sleeping's album cover for Feel, when actually, The tattoo had nothing to do with sleeping, he had gotten it completely independently, and then Kellen used it to sarcastically fire back at him with another diss. The two obviously eventually buried the hatchet, but it had nothing to do with Ollie's face tat. My apologies for the mix-up. So peak crabcore saturation point band Abandon All Ships have returned to at least some sort of active capacity. They've released two cover songs, one of the techno hit Maria I Like It Loud and one of Drake's Will Be Fine. These were both previously released way back in the day on MySpace, but they never officially saw the light of day like they are now. I actually reached out to three of the members of the band after they teased their comeback on Facebook to see if they wanted to break whatever they had in store on Note to Scene. Andrew followed me back and read my message, but never responded, and the two never even opened the ones I sent to them. It's just so funny to see this band be at least somewhat active after Attack Attack announced their reunion. Crabcore really is just back, I guess. In other comeback news, 303 announced that they are returning with new music that will be released on their original label, Photo Finish Records further proving that literally every band will eventually come back. I got a few quick things to say about 303. First, these guys were massive in an absolute scene breakout. They had songs with Katy Perry and Kesha, and even featured on a Kesha song that was a a hit in and of itself. They had two songs peek inside the top 10 on the Hot 100, Don't Trust Me and My First Kiss, and then their feature on Kesha's song, Blah Blah Blah, peaked inside the top 10 as well. These guys had real, genuine hits. Second, after they fell off the face of the earth, I wrote an article about them in 2015 while I was at Alt Press called What Happened to 303. It wasn't even shitting on them. I literally defended them in the article, but at that point, we hadn't heard from them in years. Matt was my editor at the time, and their manager reached out and was furious and made us take it down. I think he was also Neck Deep's manager at the time or something like that, so we had to play his game if we wanted to have access to Neck Deep. Just one of the many bullshit politics games media is forced to play in the modern age. But 
303 is back. I can guarantee you they will not have any breakout hits now, but we'll see what it sounds like when they do drop some new stuff. Now, this next piece of news I missed last week just because that part two Bring Me the Horizon deep dive was so massive and draining, but Mod Sun released a new song called Karma. It's total MGK, Team Mills, 2020 pop punk vibes and a complete banger. I love this fucking song so much. And Mod is one of the biggest scene vets out here, man. Like, he played in Four Letter Lie and Scary Kids Scaring Kids. Dude put fucking Pat Brown from Sing It Loud and Static Selecta on the same fucking EP way back in the day. But he's got a new album coming on Big Noise, which is the same label that just put out T Mills Pop Punk Band's new album, which is also a fantastic record. So far, I haven't seen a big enough push for that Girlfriends album. I wish they'd be making more of a radio push, which makes me question how much they can actually do for a release. But I'm still so excited for this Mod Sun album, and I never thought I'd literally ever say that. Plus, MGK and Travis Barker are back in the studio making more bangers. We got more Jaden on the way. I mean, let's go 2021 major label pop punk. Okay, on to this week's radio rundown. MGK and Black Bear jump two more spots this week to 27 on Top 40 Radio. They might be on to a hit here. We're going to have to see. All-time low, still number one at Alt Radio. This has been eight total weeks they've been at number one. MGK's Bloody Valentine did actually sneak a week in at number one, but ATL took it right back and haven't looked back since. IDK How's Leave Me Alone moves two spots to number five, which gives them their first top five alt radio single ever. This is a big look for the band, obviously, and so cool to see two dudes from the scene having this kind of success while still being on Fearless Records. Over at Rock Radio, I Prevail have also officially broke the top five with Every Time You Leave. Definitely expect this to keep moving up. Asking Alexandria broke even this week at number 17, as well as Bad Omens at number 22. Bring Me's Parasite Eve drops from 23 to 29. It's down 45% in spins. This is definitely the end of that song. Architects, Animals makes a huge jump from 41 to 30 with over a 100% increase in plays. This is already a big look for the band and a really good sign for them early on with this song. Sony has submitted Bring Me the Horizon's Teardrops to Rock Radio now that Parasite Eve has begun to fall off the chart. Teardrops is currently sitting at 37, so we'll see if it can do any better than number 17, which is where Parasite Eve peaked at. So three weeks ago, I did part one of this deep dive on the life and death of What Was Me. I only touched on issues during that one to cover the diss tracks between their song King of Amarillo and What Was Me's I've Told You Once. So we're going to pick up here directly following the release of Amarillo. If you want to hear any backstory, go check out the first part. So it's October of 2012. Issues finally has their first song out. The band had a lot of member changes right out of the gates. A lot of the documentation around this time has been wiped from the internet, and since there were so many names tossed around at the beginning, it's really difficult to find anything as far as a concrete initial lineup for the band. But from what I can find, I believe the very first lineup of issues was Tyler Carter, Michael Bone, Corey Ferris, and Ben Ferris, who were all happened to be What Was Me members formerly. I could be off here with a couple other names, but I think that was the very beginning of the band. 
From what I've been able to find, Ben left before they had even started recording the Black Diamonds EP, and even though Corey is credited as the bassist on the release, Skylar Accord, who's in the band now, recorded bass for the entire EP, and Corey apparently didn't actually do anything for it. Case Snedeker was the band's first drummer, who also played on Black Diamonds, and then Skylar's brother Tyler provided programming duties. So after they dropped King of Amarillo, the band actually had a little backlash from fans complaining about the lyrics. They sent out two tweets in response and used the opportunity to kind of promote what would be their second song, Princeton Ave. They said, just want to say, we know some of you think our lyrics won't hit home anymore. No, we just had to get some things off of our chest. Just wait. The rest of our EP is real as fuck. Just being human. We are ready to save lives again. Princeton Ave will change you all. Which makes me laugh now, looking back on the scene's Hope Core era, with bands like We Came As Romans and The Color Morale all hitting their strides around this same time and using quote unquote saving lives as a PR point. So Issues dropped Princeton Ave on Halloween 2012. It was a solid follow-up to Amarillo and absolutely kept people's attention. Kind of typical early Issues formula, new metal riffs, outfront programming that added a lot of melody to the band that they lost later on in their career. Solid hook from Tyler, breakdown moments for anyone who wanted a heavy side of the band, and the lyrics that depicted a toxic relationship, which is kind of ironic considering what Tyler was later accused of, but we'll get to that in a bit. So the band went out on tour with Attila, Make Me Famous, Ice Nine Kills, and Adestria in late October slash early November of 2012. It's funny because it was an Attila headliner who were still in the outlawed cycle at that time, and Issues weren't even direct support. Dennis Stoff's first band, Make Me Famous, was, and Issues were billed underneath them. As we'll see, none of the bands on this tour even got close to as big as Issues did. They released Black Diamonds while they were on that run. I feel like a lot of people don't remember this EP hype, they just think right back to self-titled. But people fucked with Black Diamonds hard. There was a little bit of everything on this thing. And much like we talked about last week on the Bring Me the Horizon dive, nobody else in the scene sounded like this. Turntable, new metal, post-hardcore. It was produced by Chris Crummett and Ty Accord, and even though some of the mixes were off just a bit, like I wish more than anything they would have re-recorded the worst of them with the self-titled mix, but like I said, Princeton Ave, it was absolutely enough to get and keep kids' attention. To coincide with the release of the EP, Issues also contributed to a cover of Punk Goes Pop 5, which was a take on Justin Bieber's Boyfriend. So the band added a breakdown to the end of the song with their own lyrics that wasn't part of the original, and I honestly don't even want to read these on the show, but Michael screams, Bitch, I ain't your boyfriend because you are underage. Call me in a couple of years and we will fucking rage. Slut. I just want everyone to know that this went through, obviously, the band, their management, and Fearless Records, and not a single person thought that it was a bad idea. I get, like, the sentiment is to not mess around with someone who is underage, but imagine being a grown-ass dude referring to an underage girl as a slut. I say it every time an instance like this gets brought back up, like that episode on One Tree Hill I tweeted about last week where a 27-year-old Pete Wentz drops everything to be with a girl who's still in high school and nobody said anything. The scene was 100% destined to fail. I mean, come on, people. But 
after this, they went on two separate tours, one opening for Pierce the Veil and the other opening for A Day to Remember. These were big moments for the band and definitely shouldn't be understated. They started with a very small Attila tour and within a few months hopping on alongside Pierce the Veil, who were hitting their peak with Collide with the Sky, and then A Day to Remember, who were easily the biggest band in the scene with anticipation for common courtesy snowballing every day. During these two runs, they released a standalone single called Hooligans, which to me is the best issue song. It encapsulated everything that made the band special, and they executed it at a top level. Near-perfect programming from Scout, Linkin Park turntables, legit one of the biggest scene hooks of all time, heavy riffs that still cut like a knife, Michael's screams felt fresh, Tyler nailed everything, especially the way he inserted the melody into his rap parts. It's very similar to what we began seeing from the SoundCloud movement a few years after this. This song kicked the hype levels for the album, I mean, through the roof. But during and after these runs, though, they had some drama with their drummer, Case Snedeker. At first, it seemed fairly amicable. Case was only 19 during his time in the band and cited personal and musical differences. He and the band released pretty lengthy statements that really don't say a whole lot. It seems like they were really just talking in circles, so I'm not going to read those front to back. But he and the band parted ways in May of 2013. And then in September, he released another statement accusing the band of actually kicking him out and not paying him for any of his time and issues. He put out a pretty long ass statement that literally nobody remembers. Here's what he said. I'm not exactly sure why I'm writing this, other than the fact that apparently I've been nothing but trash talked by my former band. I was kicked out of issues because apparently they didn't think I was a good enough drummer. It was so embarrassing because for a while I honestly believed this to be true. Well, honestly, the reason I was kicked out is because I disagreed with someone in the band so much that he said if I was in the band, he wouldn't be. The band told me this. He is a key writer, so I got kicked out. Supposedly, I can't play hooligans up to par. The most popular video of hooligans that everyone saw live with me just so happened to be the night I was the sickest I'd ever been. So later down the road, this member used it as leverage to prove his point. The new drummer, Josh, who was my friend, went to dinner with me after I was kicked out and told me that he was offered the position. He then asked me if I'd been paid my promised pay from the band. I said no, and he said he would make sure that happened. Never did. I told him to join the band because my experience was something I could have never had elsewhere, and he said, I don't know why they want me. Your feet are better than mine. So I'm going to start this part by saying Josh is an unbelievable drummer. He's better than I am, but he's also got three years on me. My house was where Issues lived while in Georgia and practiced. When we got home from tour, my parents had sold the house and moved to where we couldn't practice or all stay. Josh has a house with a studio. People from the band moved into his house even before I joined. Why not have your roommate play in your band? Couldn't hurt your chances of a place to stay. Also, they had nothing more to gain from me. I never got my royalties that I'm contracted to, merch cuts that I was promised, or even a sorry for completely screwing me out of a career. They can say I screwed myself all they like, but I know for a fact that I can play those drum parts and I think most of the people that saw me with issues can attest to that. And to all of the doubters, I'd gladly post a video of me playing hooligans whenever I get a camera on me. 
I'm posting this because I've been begged to tell the truth of my departure. It's possible they'll come back with some posts about my inferiority at drums or something else insulting, but this is the honest truth and I feel much better now that I've actually written it out. Continue to support them because I honestly believe most of them are good people, but just know that not everything is cut and dry. Don't dramatize this, just take it for what it is. I will not talk about issues anymore on social networks. I'm done. This is me burning the bridge, I promise. I love you all, Case. And then, the only thing anyone from the band said on this was Tyler, who tweeted, It's so pointless for people to keep latching on to something they're no longer a part of, and even ride on the coattails of drama, when people try having a last word to get a rise out of others. But it's been months, and it's pointless now. I'm sorry, guys. Probably the biggest takeaway from Woe Is Me and Issues is that they were filled with drama from day one. Issues was literally birthed out of it. A lot of people have publicly blamed Woe Is Me drummer Austin Thornton for being a cause of tension, but it's obvious the tension carried over without him into Issues because for one reason or another, they had a ton of lineup instability right out of the gates. But after the drama with Case, they announced their new and still current drummer, Josh Manuel. They went out on Sleeping With Sirens US headliner for Feel in the fall of 2013. This was another massive look for them, since Of Mice and Men was also on the A Day to Remember tour. Between that, Pierce, and Sleeping, they had already toured with nearly all of the scene's biggest names at that point, besides Bring Me the Horizon. And they hadn't even released self-titled yet. They literally did all of this off of an EP. 2013 was a crucial year for issues, and it led to the ridiculous success of their first full length that blindsided our part of the industry. Also throughout that year, they had been writing and recording self-titled. The album was originally scheduled to be released in November of 2013, but got delayed multiple times. It was produced by Chris Crummett, Scout, and Matt Malpass. Matt has been all over the place in the industry. Dude has worked with everyone from Dance Gavin Dance and Issues to Train and even on the new MGK album. In 2017 and 2018, he worked on 68's fantastic album, Two Parts Viper, and then XXXTentacion's Question Mark album, which would end up being X's last before he passed away. But this album is absolutely in the top 10 of the best seen albums of the 2010s. They took everything that was promising and caught people's attention on Black Diamonds and turned that shit straight to 11. Scout deserves all the credit in the world for the programming he did on Black Diamonds and this album. He added the dynamic that really separated them from everyone else in the scene. The first song they released from the record was Stingray Affliction on December 18th, 2013. This felt like more of a refined version of King of Amarillo without the diss angle. Thematically, it's about not letting people look down on you for who you are, and musically, it's a hurricane of turntable metalcore with a massive chorus hook and an R&B bridge. On January 14th, 2014, they released the album's second single, Never Lose Your Flames, which is one of the lyric nods I mentioned during the Woe Is Me dive. Never Lose Your Flames is a lyric in the closer on Woe Is Me's first album called Desolate the Conductor. This song for Issues was more straight up post-hardcore, another massive chorus hook, and I just cannot say enough about the production on these singles and the self-titled album as a whole. This song just feels massive. As we'll talk about in a bit, some of this magic was missing from their next two albums. On February 3rd, they dropped Mad At Myself, which ended up becoming the band's biggest song historically. Then they finally released the album on February 18th, 2014, 
through Rise Records, and like I said before, its commercial performance blindsided our world. It sold 22,000 units first week and debuted at number 9 on the top 200. 22,000 units on a debut album in a real top 10 charting, not any bullshit indie, heat seekers, vinyl, etc. charts. It was a real top 10 debut on the only album chart that matters, the top 200. So the album is out. It's been a massive success out of the gates. Then they spend the summer on Warp Tour. The first two years of this band were literally picture-perfect execution-wise. They had it all right in front of them. The next album should have pushed them to the next level based on the growth they saw during the first year and a half. Then they put out a fan-favorite album and had Warped as a launching pad for it. Even if they took a few months off after that and just started focusing on the next album, they would have been in fantastic shape. The only thing they had to do was deliver. But before the sophomore album rolled around though, they released a reimagined EP of songs called Diamond Dreams. It was eight tracks and included some from both Black Diamonds and Self-Titled, as well as Hooligans. They put King of Amarillo on it too and rewrote it so it wasn't a diss to Woe Is Me anymore, which I absolutely hated. Like. When you write a diss track, you say it with your chest, even if you move on and mend fences. You, you stand by your shit. But they also did an acoustic version of Never Lose Your Flames with Ben from Neck Deep, and this was right before Neck Deep hit their first big stride in 2015. This EP wasn't huge, you know, nowhere near something like Sleeping With Sirens acoustic EP, which is definitely what Rise was aiming for here, but the Neck Deep feature was certainly the biggest track, and it's so funny to hear Tyler, who can actually sing, and Ben, who absolutely cannot, basically duet a song. It sounds like a vocal coach going through a song with a student. But after this, in January 2015, Scout announced that he would no longer be touring with the band anymore. He'd still be involved in the writing and recording process of the music, he just wouldn't be out on the road with them. I was at Alt Press when this was announced, and even though I knew the band was onto something special, I was still so surprised at the response this story got. People really fucking cared that Scout wouldn't be on tour. Then, in November of 2015, he announced that he had officially left the band entirely, and the traffic on that story was so much bigger than anyone on our digital team expected. So, it was around that time that Headspace was confirmed as the album title, but it was a long time before we ever got any progress on its completion and rollout. That summer, the band was direct support for Bring Me the Horizon on their US headliner for That's the Spirit. I remember it was announced the day of the 2015 APMAs, and Bring Me was in full rollout mode, firing on all cylinders, because the day after they dropped Throne and the rest of that cycle was absolutely history. Even though it really only was two years, I remember the rollout for Headspace pretty vividly. By the time 2016 rolled around, something about the scene just felt different. Our traffic at Alt Press dipped hard from Q2 2016 onward. There were fewer and fewer big stories, the big albums were failing to reach their commercial expectations, and when I look back now, this was the first album where it was like, okay, well, what's going to happen next? The band said there was going to be a shift in sound on this record, which I just thought meant they were going to have some turntable Linkin Park rock radio bangers to push. But on March 24th, 2016, Issues released the lead single, The Realist, and the reaction to this song has really set the tone for the band's trajectory ever since. 
Listen, there are passable moments on Headspace as a whole. They utilized a lot of cool jazz influence, and there's some dynamic syncopated rhythms that are really cool, but this song literally felt like elevator music compared to what they had just put out on Self-Titled. They spent a ton of time working on this album, and I think they just overthought a lot of it. There isn't one outright single that they could push to fans who fell in love with their original sound. And that's why we ended up with The Realist. Outside of some fun chords and riffs, this album lacks any punch. The mix feels low and insignificant, and on the surface, even if there are a lot more moving parts underneath, most of the songs offer the same bounce core filler structure. Anyone who understood the attraction to self-titled and why Warped Tour Kids gravitated to it so easily can see the disconnect on this record. After The Realist came Coma on April 19th, which is a little darker, but still the same halftime, surface, bounce core fodder that just feels like it drags on forever. Blue Wall was the album's third single on May 9th, which was the rollout's heavy moment. The track provided a very important commentary on police brutality and sounded like if Volumes wrote a song with turntables. Headspace was officially released on May 20th on Rise Records. It sold roughly 18,000 units first week and debuted at number 20 on the top 200. Remember how big I said the cycle for self-title was? So before we heard any music, we were thinking somewhere in the high 30,000s or low 40,000s for this follow-up album. Bring Me the Horizon had just done 62,000 in September of 2015, and they certainly weren't that big but everything had fallen into place for another massive debut. But the music just didn't stick, and instead of literally any increase, they saw a decrease. And when you have that big of a cycle and don't even break even on the next album, it's blatantly obvious that the music isn't sticking with fans. And that's not a good sign for the future, because from here on out, it's all downhill for issues. All it takes is one misstep with an album, just to ask Paris or Let Live or so many other bands from the scene. Issues spent that summer of 2016 on Warped, but they played a bunch of songs that their fans didn't want to hear. Nothing off Black Diamonds, just Mad at Myself, Hooligans, and then five songs off Headspace. This turned a lot of fans off that summer. They wanted to hear King of Amarillo so bad and the band just wouldn't play it, or even just the worst of us. The next year after Warped was pretty calm for issues story-wise. They went on a few tours. In June 2017, they went on a headliner, but they were still only playing like 1,200 to 2,000 caps. Like still just a House of Blues size headliner. After the self-titled cycle, they should have been beyond this and landing tours with bands outside of the scene. Then, as everyone knows, history will repeat itself if you let it, and on January 4th, 2018, Issues member drama continued when they announced that Michael Bone would no longer be in the band. According to the rest of the members, it was an amicable decision, but Bone definitely made it seem like they kicked him out. Here's what the band's statement was. To our amazing fans and hooligans around the world, it is with a heavy heart that we announce the departure of Michael Bone. We are all aware of how the internet rumor machine tends to spin its web, but the whole truth behind this amicable yet difficult decision to part is that our band is developing musically in a direction that put us at odds with each other creatively. Though sometimes beautiful in its contrast, the bigger picture began to be artistically irreconcilable. 
Some of you may not know that we as a band are always writing. The past year has been a lot of trial and error with new material, but the demos from these sessions are, in our opinion, undeniable in their potential and are some of our favorite songs Issues have ever written. We found that many of the risks we wanted to take were in turn at risk of being watered down to make them compatible with everyone's tastes and abilities. The quality and sincerity of our art is paramount, so we had to do a lot of soul searching to come to the conclusion that was best for all of us, the entity of issues, and the music. Just to make things absolutely clear, this was our decision as a band. No label or suit BS. This is not a move to become a bubblegum pop act. We are going to continue to do what we have always done and write exactly what we want. We will continue to play older material and will delegate screaming parts live. Lastly, we have no current plans of adding core members to Issues. We love Michael and the experiences we shared in Issues will forever be irreplaceable. We wish him the absolute best with his future endeavors and he will always have our undying support within his musical career. We believe he will continue to be a voice for the fans and prosper in his next journey. And here's what Michael said. Well, here I am typing up a statement I never thought I'd have to type. There's so much I could say, but I'm going to do my best to keep it short and to the point. First off, I want to make it clear that I did not leave issues. It was brought to my attention that the band wanted to go in a different direction and that they would be moving on without me. As devastating as this news was and has been these last couple months, I'm excited for what the future holds. I am teaming up with Kevin Hansen, ex woe is me, for my new project. We have been writing for a little over a month and I have no plans on quitting music. As for the fans, I cannot thank you enough for your love and support. So much respect to every fan around the world. You have made my time in issues a dream come true. I've been to places I only dreamed about as a kid and couldn't even fathom that I'd go. I have made countless memories in the band that will stay with me forever and learned a lot about life, people, and music. I truly hate that my time has come to an end in issues, but I'm going to make the best of it. Sorry we made you guys wait and wonder what's going on, but we wanted to be as professional as possible about this. Here's to making the most of 2018. Much love, Michael Bone. The band had been posting pictures of themselves in the studio working on what would be their third full-length album for a while before this announcement, but people had been talking for months, asking where Michael was. We definitely knew it was coming. Usually when it seems like something is up, there is, which is why I'm still not sold yet that there isn't something going on between Blink and Matt Skiba. I've been through these things way too many times. If it smells like smoke, there is usually a fire. But that's another conversation for another time. Michael randomly got really into the Christian rock band Need to Breathe after Issues and formed a new band called Wild Heart, which was like a little more soulful pop version of Need to Breathe. Michael was the drummer in it. Kevin Hansen, who, like he said, also played in What Was Me, played guitar in the band, which was interesting, but they only released a couple of songs and then they broke up. Here's their track, Lonely. But don't worry, Michael already has another band called The Villa, who released its first song earlier this year in an incredibly poorly timed rollout. He dropped the song during the peak of the protests and it just was not a good look. The band has former members of Issues, Woe Is Me, Secrets, and Nightmares. 
It's definitely an attempt at metalcore with a big hook, but it needs a lot of work. They got one song out called Turning Point, and it's a little rough. Check it out. So to cap Michael's resume, he's been in A Path Less Traveled, Woe Is Me, Issues, Wild Heart, and now The Villa. But back to Issues. So Michael is out. The band spent a lot of 2018 creating their third album. I know it seems like I'm skipping over things here, but there really wasn't much public activity from the band during this time. And that's another thing that took away from the hype of Issues. They didn't stay in the conversation post-headspace. And I cannot stress how important it is to continue making headlines after you release music. I know for scene bands it's difficult now because alt press is the biggest shit show on the internet and couldn't make a story look good if they had to, but you just have to figure out ways to stay in the conversation. So Issue spent a lot of time working on their third album, and to be honest, a lot of people moved on during that time. In the three years from Headspace to Beautiful Oblivion, the scene just fell apart. So not only did the band lose all of their momentum individually, but they came back to a literal scorched earth. Warped was gone. Scene media fell apart. Their label Rise had a fraction of the pushing power it did when they dropped self-titled. It honestly didn't matter what this album sounded like. It was just set up to fail. But so they released the lead single, Tappin' Out, on May 3rd last year. It felt like it had a little bit more of an edge than Headspace, but on the surface, it was still just felt like that mid-tempo bounce core fodder with a hook that just missed. They dropped the second single months later called Drink About It on August 12th and finally gave the album a proper announcement. This was just another choppy, gent R&B track. If you actually liked Headspace and Tappin' Out, you'll absolutely like this one, but it's obvious most fans from their peak were not feeling it. Their streams were so low out of the gates on these songs. But the third single, Flexin', for better or worse, got people's attention. It's a straight pop song, very Bruno Mars core with Tyler's falsetto hooks. Musically, it's a fun, funky pop song, but Tyler almost feels kind of like Blueface when he's trying to find the beat on the verses. Like once he starts singing, he's fine, but the talk rap moments are honestly hard to listen to. But as the scene does, even when it doesn't exist anymore, loves to throw a tantrum when bands change sounds. You could bring a no-name band back from 2005, and if they released a song that was slightly different than what they sounded like 15 years ago, the five people listening would be like, why did you change your sound? We have to learn to let these bands evolve. There's a difference between not liking a song or album and not wanting a band to change their sound. I thought Issues was going to go full Linkin Park mode after self-titled and we were going to get a modern version of Meteora. Bottom line, it's okay to not like the way a band sounds, but don't tell them they're not allowed to change their sound. No band will ever sound the same their entire career. Some bands evolve into the right soundscapes and make the right moves, and it all pays off. More bands evolve the wrong way in terms of commercial success, and it eventually leads to their end, because you always have to remember, a band is a business, and when the money stops coming in, the music stops going out. 
I know a lot of people do not like that. I've turned a lot of people off over the years, even just from this show, because of the way I approach the scene. But listen, your favorite bands are a product of the machine. Ask anyone on the other side of the industry, labels, managers, booking agents, etc., etc. They'll tell you the same thing. Every move matters, and sometimes all it takes is one misstep to lose all your momentum. Now, I will stand by that Headspace is just not a good album overall. There are a lot of just poorly executed moments on that record, but Beautiful Oblivion has some very solid moments. Rain is one of my favorite issue songs of all time. It almost feels like they rebranded as a pop punk band. Save for the riffs that are way out front in the mix, No Problem, Keep It Alive could absolutely be like in a JCPenney's or Carson Lobby airplane mix. The title track honestly feels like one of the more low-key moments on Self-Titled. The verses in Second Best really cook with an energy that we hadn't seen from the band in years. They also worked with a shit ton of songwriters on this album from way outside of the scene. People who have worked with everyone from Justin Bieber, Khalid, Charlie Puth, Demi Lovato, and tons others. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out much for them given the album's performance, but I do want to use this as a quick sidebar shout out to Finn and the Punk Rock MBA for his podcast episode this week with Lil Aaron, who gives a shit ton of insight into the songwriting world, and guys, we gotta end the stigma that co-writers are a bad thing. For some reason, in rock music in general, it's always been looked down on, and it's complete bullshit. Aaron brings up a fantastic point that that kind of attitude also permeates the habit of not wanting to credit people for their work, almost like it's a bad thing that you don't create something by yourself. Fuck that shit. Collab with everyone you can. It literally only opens doors for you and helps put some cash in more people's pockets. Highly recommend checking out that new episode with Aaron. But so Beautiful Oblivion ended up selling around 5,000 units first week, give or take a few, and debuted at number 181 on the top 200. They barely made it on the chart. Commercially, this album was a disappointment. They went out on a US headliner in support of it in late 2019, and for the most part, it was a House of Blues size run, and for some reason, they played a 500 cap in New York City. For the most part, I heard that this tour did sell fairly well, so I'm sure they made some solid cash off merch sales each night, which was the first thing that they had probably floated them in a while, but they hadn't toured in a pretty long time at that point, so you always gotta think supply and demand with these things. Context is everything. But I was gonna be interested to see what their next headliner would be cap-wise, but then the pandemic hit. Concert demand is going to be so high once tours do fully come back that the bands that are able to survive the pandemic will have no problem filling rooms. But so now we're in 2020. They were supposed to be on Dance Gavin Dance's headliner in the spring that got canceled. Then the pandemic hit and shit went pretty silent, not just for issues, but across the board. Then at the beginning of September, multiple accusations of sexual misconduct and grooming were alleged against Tyler Carter. It all started from a user who tweeted, Damn, happy 10-year anniversary to numbers. That was a crazy time in my life because I had made so many new friends, became Dookie, and officially got assaulted by Tyler Carter while I was passed out drunk and 14 years old. Quite a few times from what he told me. That doesn't even include all the grooming and constantly asking me for nudes for the entirety of our friendship while I was very underage. After this, another user tweeted, 
These allegations are sadly true. Tyler added me on Snapchat when I was about 14 or 15 and would talk about how cute I was and how soon after would ask me for nudes. The band responded very quickly and kicked him out. Their statement was, Recently, we have become aware of allegations against Tyler Carter of grooming and sexual misconduct. We, Josh, Sky, and AJ will no longer be working with Tyler. We believe survivors. And then more people came forward with accounts, including the vocalist of Misfortune, Mikey Sawyer, who alleged that Tyler abused and groomed him. Tyler eventually released a statement in which he admitted that he crossed boundaries, blurred lines, had trouble understanding influence and power dynamics, escalated conversations, and abused his power, but also adamantly said that he had never physically assaulted anyone in his life. I have included links to all of these statements regarding this situation in the article for this week's episode for anyone who wants to dive deeper. Now, just last week, Tyler returned to Instagram and posted a story linking to a new profile of of what appears to be his new band, Emerald Royce. Attila's guitarist Chris also posted a story linking to the profile. The bio for the account just says coming 2021. So apparently Tyler already has a new band with Attila's guitarist and they'll be dropping their first music next year. I'm sure that's just gonna go over great. But that nearly brings us to current day. Sky, Josh, and AJ said an instrumental release of Beautiful Oblivion is coming. Dropping instrumental versions of albums seems to be becoming somewhat popular with the bands that are left in the scene. Dance Gavin Dance has done it for all of their albums. Silent Planet did it for all of theirs. But as of right now, the future remains pretty uncertain for issues. It would seem that they are continuing on. Obviously, nobody can play shows right now, so that's not even a question on the table. But the main one is who will be the vocalist now. It's just so wild how, after everything, issues still ended up with the same fate as what was me. Tyler and Michael are out of another band again. This is pure speculation, but I could see Issues maybe doing another album with another vocalist and maybe some small stuff after that, but it honestly might end the exact same way Woe Is Me did. I've been saying it a lot lately, but the scene was truly just destined to fail. I think a lot of us grew up with this stuff while we were still very much kids and just didn't realize the bubble underneath everything. And then it popped, and now we're here. All right, everyone, that does it for our two-part deep dive on Woe Is Me and Issues. Next week, I'm going to attempt to fit an entire dive on the Devil Wears Prada into one episode. We'll see how that goes. I might have to split it up into two. If you have any requests for deep dives that you want to hear, email me at notetoseen at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.